All right. Uh, well, if you are new with us today, or maybe you missed last week, uh, last week we began our study working through the book of John, and maybe lucky for you, good for you, we didn't get too far, we just uh, were in the first two verses, but uh, we started with John's introduction, uh, what's called his prologue, and uh, in that we considered the simple but all-important question, uh, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Uh, that's really the question that John is attempting to answer in the opening of chapter 1. Who is Jesus? And the reason that this is significant for us today is because we know that Jesus' identity is central to the Christian faith. Um, if you remove Christ, if you remove Jesus, uh, you don't have Christianity. Um, I don't know if you've ever observed some of the earliest Christian creeds, those documents, like the Nicene Creed, for example, or the Apostles' Creed. But it's interesting. Um, in those creeds, those statements of faith, uh, we don't really see anything about Jesus' teachings. We don't really see anything uh, about his miracles. Uh, for example, the Apostles' Creed, it goes like this. I believe in Jesus Christ, who was born of the Virgin Mary, Next line, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. And you're like, oh, that's kind of a strange life, isn't it? Right? That would be a pretty sad eulogy at a funeral. They were born, and then they suffered and died. Right? There's nothing in the middle, right? There's nothing in the middle. Why wouldn't these early statements of faith, our earliest statements of faith, include any of Jesus' life, any of his, his works? Well, the reason for that is because the teachings of Jesus ultimately serve to explain and support who he is and what he came to do. And it's the same for the miracles. So it's not that Jesus' teachings don't matter. It's just that what mattered ultimately was who was teaching and what that individual came to do. And so with that in mind, last week we looked at the first two verses of John's Gospel. And what we found is that Jesus is the pre-existent one. That is, he has always been. He has always existed. Beyond that, we, we talked about Jesus' unique relationship with God the Father. That from the very beginning, uh, Jesus and the Father existed as one and yet separate as persons. And then we finished by talking about Jesus' divine essence, this incredible truth that Jesus Christ is God, that he is fully divine. And now today, we're going to continue to unfold more characteristics about Jesus. And what we'll find is that John introduces for us this theme of light. And to unpack that, we're going to see in John 1, 3 through 13. Uh, what I want to do is break this up, this text that Pastor Levi just read for us, break this up into three simple sections, what I hope at least are three simple sections. We're going to talk about Jesus as the creator, the one who gives light. We're going to talk about John the Baptist, the one who came to testify about the light. And then we're going to close by considering two responses that you and I can have to that light, all right? So let's jump into the text now, 
And we're going to begin by discussing the truth that Jesus is the creator, the one who gives light, and the one who gives life. Jesus is the creator, the one who gives light and life. Again, last week we talked about Jesus' unique relationship with the Father. And now we, we turn to his relationship to creation. Look with me again at verse 3. We're going to see he's the self-existent creator. John says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So that's pretty comprehensive, I think, but it sounds a bit redundant, doesn't it? I mean, John could have just said, all things were made through him, period. But John, as we're going to see time and time again through this gospel, John has this habit, this tendency towards repetition uh, to make sure that you and I don't miss the point. He really wants us to get these simple truths. And here in verse 3, John is essentially saying, if there is a made thing, Jesus made it. Everything was made through him. Nothing is made that he didn't make. And we see this echoed through the rest of the New Testament. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus created the world. Or we see here in Revelation 4.11, it says this, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive honor and glory and power for you, what? Created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. Or in 1 Corinthians 8, it says this, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, listen, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. See, the New Testament is continuing time and time again to press upon us the reality of Jesus' work as creator. He creates, he sustains, and therefore, Jesus Christ is the very meaning of our existence. And there are huge implications to knowing Jesus as creator, right? It means that we should respect creation since it's the Lord's work. It means that you and I have intrinsic value, that if Jesus made us, it means that we have worth, uh, worth excuse me. We are part of the work of John chapter 1, verse 3. All things there includes us. We were made through him. And therefore, we should worship him. We are made by him. We are made for him. And this also means that creation must never be the object of our worship. Because creation isn't worthy of our worship. Creation is dependent. It is not divine. There's no meaning. There's no happiness outside of the one that made us. There's no purpose. Jesus is creator. And now in verses 4 and 5, we see he's the one who gives light and life. Life and light are two beautiful themes that we'll see John develop and unpack masterfully throughout his book. And, and, and there are, there's both a, a physical and spiritual nature to these that we're going to see in this gospel. But in verses 4 through 5, I believe John still has creation in mind. Okay? 
He has creation in mind here, even though he is probably preparing the way for us to understand these themes of life and light in a different way. He's preparing us for what's to come. So this verse here sort of serves as a bridge for us. He says this, in him was life. In Jesus was life. Again, he is self-existing. In John 5, we'll see, the son has life in himself, John writes. He is the giver of life. Life ultimately comes from this Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So what does John mean here by the life that he's given people was the light of people? That the one who has life in himself gives light. Well, uh, I believe... That this is referring to what we often call uh, general revelation. Okay? And what that means is, generally speaking, that God has revealed himself, chosen to reveal himself to humanity. So you might say, Jesus as creator has left his marks or his imprints on his creation. The life that he gives is the light of men. And we see expressions of his creation all the time in humanity, right? Just in general, right? We see it all the time. When we see goodness, when we observe beauty, uh, when we comprehend or listen to wisdom, uh, we also see imprints of the creator in all of the arts around us. We see it in, in things that people are able to, uh, to create, masterfully create, right, all the time. We are such creative people because we have the imprint of Jesus on us. So that life was the light of men. The fall, okay, the fall, Adam's fall in the garden, we know this, it damaged our image, the imago Dei, the image of God on us. It damaged it. It damaged our being like God. But listen, it didn't destroy it. Okay, that's a misnomer. Okay. Some people believe, oh, it just ruined, it totally destroyed the Imago Dei. That's not true. It damaged it. It didn't destroy it. See, there is still today, even after the fall, there is light on people. There are expressions of the creator God on people. The fingerprints, the master creator, his fingerprints are all over this creation. I love how one theologian sums this up. Listen to these words try to comprehend this. He says, the eternal word is the creator of everything, including you. What's more, since life is sourced in him, your experience of life comes from him. And the life that he gives to you serves as a light for you, revealing something in you that there is something or someone beyond you, namely him. The light is upon us. It's upon us. His fingerprint is on you. And now notice verse 5, John continues, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Some translations say, uh, the darkness has not understood it, has not understood the light. Uh, can't overcome it, hasn't overcome it, hasn't understood it, but both are true. So why have people who have 
the light upon them from the creator, not turn to him, not turn to the light, not turn to Jesus. Why haven't they accepted the light, understood the light? Well, we know, and we're going to see in John's gospel, it's because of their sin. Uh, Again, sin has tarnished us. It has damaged us. And so notice a couple of things about this verse here. First of all, we see just in this short verse that John, from the very beginning of his gospel, introduces us to this war. That there are two opposing kingdoms, two sides here. It's light versus darkness. And the light, we see, is met with tremendous resistance here. Later, we're going to learn that the reason people don't come to Jesus is actually because they love the darkness rather than the, light, uh, than the light. They actually love being in darkness, if you can imagine. But notice here, there's not only a war, but John is mentioning here a superior power. That even though we see here that light and darkness are opposites, they are not opposites of equal power. He says here, the darkness cannot overcome the light. And so does that mean that in the end, everyone will become a Christian? Right, that everyone will be saved because the light overcomes the darkness. Well, no, it doesn't mean that. We'll see in a few minutes that people actually choose sides. But for the moment, we just need to understand that our creator God, Jesus Christ, the creator, his light as the light is upon all of us, each and every one of us. Jesus, as the creator, has come into a dark world, our dark world, to bring life and light. The only question that remains is, will we see the light? Will we see it? Well, the next section we we turn to now is in regards to this man, uh, also named John. His name is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the one who came to bear witness to the light. That's section two. Okay, we're going to break this down. John the Baptist, the one who came to bear witness to the light. Now, uh, if you've already uh, read through John's gospel, maybe you've uh, read through John 1 a few times this week. Uh, Maybe you're like me, you read through it, going through it, reading along in the prologue, and you think to yourself, isn't this a bit of an interruption the text, like turning to this guy, John the Baptist. Okay, I mean, we were just, like literally, we were just talking about the Trinity. We were just talking about Jesus' pre-existence. We're talking about this major concept of, of life and light. And now, all of a sudden, we move to a guy named John. Right? It seems like a pretty quick change, at least it did for me. Okay, but actually... Uh, this, is, this is very important and very deliberate work by John. Because John is transitioning here from creation to the incarnation. The true light is about to be introduced. And John the Baptist is going to serve as the bridge. The bridge from what we know now is the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so follow me here. John the Baptist, we see, comes into the world and we know that there has been this light on the world already. The light 
there was light on the world. I mean, there has, there has been this sense since the very beginning of the reality of God upon every single human heart. Right? We hear this from Romans 8 in chapter 1. But then things shift, a majorly shift, as Jesus himself enters into the world, steps into the world. And John has come to bear witness to this, John the Apostle tells us. And what do we know about John? What exactly do we know about John? Well, look with me at verse 6. It says this, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Again, this is John the Baptist, not the writer John. And it says he was sent from God. That's key for us to know. That phrase, sent from God, uh, is a phrase used all throughout the Old Testament to describe prophets, uh, men like Jeremiah or Elijah or Isaiah, for example. And John's job, John the Baptist's job, is quite simple. It's actually repeated here twice. He came as a witness. Look at the text. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So this is his purpose for bearing witness, that people would believe on Jesus. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, I know that the the details are short here, uh, and we will learn a lot more about John the Baptist later. But there's actually a lot that we can learn from John the Baptist, even from this short text. There are things here for us to emulate. There are things here for us to imitate, particularly when it comes to being a witness for Christ. So one thing you notice here in, in verses 6 to 8 is that witnessing is a part of God's plan. It is part of God's sovereign plan. God has purposed to use human beings, us, to bear witness about the light. We know that God is ascending God. You see that in verse 6. We know that he, from the very beginning, sent Old Testament prophets. He sends John the Baptist now here. And later we'll read in John chapter 20, John's gospel, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He's talking to his followers there. God intends to send human beings, ordinary people. Notice what's said about John even. It says, there was a man. He was a man. He's just a, a dude, right? But this is what God does. It's actually his business. He sends ordinary men and women into the world to bear witness to Jesus Christ. In other words, we are God's evangelistic strategy. People just like us, empowered by the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the gospel. It's God's plan A, and there's no plan B. And notice, secondly, not only is witnessing part of God's plan, but we learn here what we are witnesses of, right? It says here to bear witness about the light. And I think that should sound and seem a bit strange, to be honest. Even as I was studying that text, we're to be witnesses of the light. Think about this. Light supplies its own proof, doesn't it? Like if you go outside 
and the sun is just blazing hot, right? I know it is absolutely freezing in Seoul recently. It's driving me crazy. But just imagine it, okay? Let's just all imagine it. It'll be soon. Sun blazing, shining in the summer. The sun speaks for itself. You know it's there. You can clearly see it. Actually, it's tough to look at it. I don't advise you to, okay? You can feel it. You can see it. Everyone sees its effects, right? So it would be a bit odd for us to stand on a street corner, for example, proclaiming, hey, look, hey, everyone, look, it's the, it's the sun. It's the sun. Do you, do you see it? Right? That would be pretty confusing. I mean, honestly, most people would probably either, A, ignore you or just feel sorry for you. You don't need to tell people to look at the sun. The sun speaks for itself. But question Who doesn't see the sun? Who doesn't see the effects, the shadows of the sun? Well, we know it's those who are physically blind, right? And now we perhaps can understand why John the Baptist is actually having to say, hey guys, look at the light. Look at Jesus. Because people are blind spiritually. They can't actually see. They are unable to see. And we all know this because at one point, we didn't see Jesus either. At one point, you and I were blind. We couldn't see the light. We were in darkness without hope. We lived blindly. We lived our lives in darkness for ourselves. We didn't see him until God shone in our hearts to give us knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, just one more takeaway from John the Baptist here when it comes to witnessing. I want us to see this. I want us to see that being a witness to the light is a selfless practice. We are sent, okay? We know that we're sent to talk about the light. But if you're going to do this, effectively, it has to be selfless. As I was thinking about John the Baptist, um, I believe John's ministry, his life, can truly be wrapped up in this one little word, just one word for John the Baptist. That's the word not. N-O-T. Not. Uh, my flesh does not like this. I had to pray it again even yesterday afternoon. But I prayed that this would be true of my life or true in my life. And actually, I prayed over all of you that we would have a big knot, N-O-T, across our lives. And what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that our lives, this life that we live, would not be about us. I believe that this defined John the Baptist's life. In verse 8, we are told he is not the light. In verse 20, it says, or he says, John the Baptist says, I am not the Christ. Verse 27, I am not worthy to untie his, Jesus' sandals. You see, what made John the Baptist so remarkably effective and faithful was that he wasn't self-absorbed. It wasn't all about him. 
He's saying to the world, I'm not the main thing. I'm not that big of a deal. I'm just here to prepare the way and point to the big deal. See that? And listen, that is our calling as well. That is our calling. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says there, for what we proclaim, the message that we give to you, what we testify to, the gospel is not ourselves. It's not about me, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Period. Does that mean I'm not supposed to tell my testimony? No, I'm not saying that, but you better move from your testimony to Christ when you're with people. It's not about you. It's about him. It's not about me. It's about him. What made John the Baptist effective was that he was selfless and Christ-exalting. And the reason I believe many of us don't witness to the gospel, to the light, faithfully, is that we are self-absorbed and self-exalting. We're so into ourselves. How to become a better me. And so, do you want to be a faithful witness? This is harsh, but the answer is simple. You and I need to get over ourselves. And marvel at the beauty of the person of Jesus Christ. Behold him. I become less. He becomes more. I empty myself of myself. He becomes great. So we have Jesus who gives light. We have John the Baptist who came to bear witness to the light. And now we see from John that there are two responses to the light, just two. For all of us, the whole world, there are just two responses, two responses that you can have to the true light. This is section three for us. Two responses, that's it, that you can have to the true light. And we see this between verses 9 and 13. So verse 9 says this. The true light, finally introduced to him. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So John says, the true light, Jesus, the eternal one, God, came into the world. He is the true light. Later, we know Jesus will be called the true bread. And it doesn't mean that what the people were eating wasn't real bread. It just means that he is the climatic bread, that he is the ultimate bread, that he is the saving bread. And the same here is true of the light. There has been light. In the beginning, God spoke and there was light. There has been light. There has always been light. But John is saying here, Jesus is superior to all previous lights. He is the saving light. Of course, in the New Testament, we know the Messiah was often conveyed by light. Like in Isaiah chapter 9, okay, which we explored on Christmas Eve this past year. Light has come into the world, we are told. 
And what happens if you're in darkness and all of a sudden someone turns on the light? You've been there before, probably. It causes a reaction, doesn't it? A big one. Don't you just love it when people do that to you when you're fast asleep? Maybe you're a kid and your parents are like, it's time to get up. School, you better get up. Yeah, five more minutes. I did this all the time. Five more minutes. It's been five minutes. My mom, she's on me. She's watching. You were on, she was on me. She would like have her watch. It's been five minutes. You better get up. And then if not, boom, that light went on. Mom, you know, ah, you know. Mom, where's my lucky charms? You know, that's what I would do. No, I'm kidding. Kidding, kind of. Love Lucky Charms. Right? <laughs> Terrible. Terrible when the light goes on immediately. See, when light intrudes the darkness, it causes a reaction. I'll give you one other example. Uh, one that maybe I shouldn't. I remember when I was in high school, senior in high school, living in upstate New York. There's nothing to do in upstate New York. Nothing. It's freezing cold. Just like this. I'm cold now because I moved away for a long time. It's freezing, like negative 40 degrees in the winter sometimes. Just crazy. So cold. So I remember I'm a senior, and I was out in the woods really late at night with my friends doing some things that I shouldn't have been doing. I was causing trouble, right? Trying to make water into wine (laughs) out in the woods. And I remember uh, we were hanging out. We had a bonfire going, not supposed to. And all of a sudden, heard this click, like this, and bah, light, blinding light. It's the police. And they got a spotlight on us from the road. So bright. Just hear this words over the megaphone. Don't move, right? Don't move. And so I did the opposite. I took off running as fast as I could. And I remember running, and I couldn't decide if I was more afraid of the police or my father. One of the two. My dad, some of you think I'm tall or whatever. My dad, if he's ever to come, you'll see. You shake his hand, he just swallows your hand. His hand is like this on me. Just, I could just imagine. Probably just knock me out. I mean, seriously. And I ran as fast as I, I could. And by the way, I got away, okay? <laughs> What's my point, all right? <laughs> my point is don't. Don't run from the police. It's not the point. What's my point? When the light shone on me that evening, it caused a reaction. There was a lot of fear. I didn't just stand there, actually. I I ran. Because I was exposed. I was in the wrong. And this is what the light does. And so we get this picture of Jesus coming into this dark world. And what happens? He causes a reaction, doesn't he? 
You and I just can't sit there. If I can use the analogy of insects, when the light turns on, we know some fly to the light like a moth. But others are repelled by the light like a cockroach. And this is how it is with Jesus, the true light. No one stands indifferent before Jesus. No one. You're either running to him or you're either running from him. And we see here in John, he calls those groups of people, he calls them receivers and rejectors. There are just two groups, and we see the rejectors in verse 10 through 11. He says this, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So with humanity in general, the whole world, John says, they don't see the one who fashioned them, who designed them, who made them. It's a tragedy. And then in verse 11, he continues. It actually gets a bit worse. It says, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. In other words, the Jewish people, his own people, his own kind, if you will, demographic, don't receive him as well. If anyone should have, it should have been them. Out of the whole human race, God selected this one particular family, gave them promises, gave them a land, gave them the law, gave them a temple, gave them promises to prepare their hearts for the coming Messiah. He cared for them, he provided for them, he protected them. Israel should have rolled out the red carpet for Jesus. But what happened? The light of the world came, and Jesus is born in an animal trough. He's a refugee baby in Egypt. When he grows up and starts teaching, he comes of age, the first things that they want to do is actually hurl him off the side of a cliff, we're told. They called him the devil. They rejected him. They spit at him. They tried to stone him multiple times. They plotted to kill him. One of his closest friends betrays him. Another close friend denies him. Most of his Closest followers abandon him in his greatest time of need. The crowd mocks him, and eventually they crucify him. He came to his own people, but his own did not receive him. The majority of the world and his own people do not see him for who he is. They run from the light. Rejectors. And then we see the second group, receivers. John says, but, but to all who did receive him. And what does it mean to receive him? But to all who did receive him, we're told, who believed in his name, who believe into his name. This is not just having some facts about Jesus correct. What this means is that you rest the whole of your existence upon him. You depend on him. All that he is, all that he has done, 
It's a trust that leads to movement, to action, believe. And when you do that, John says, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, for those who believe in the true light, they are made something new. They are made something that they were previously not. They have the right, John says, to become children of God. And this is the glorious gospel. That through faith in Christ and by his grace and his grace alone, you can be adopted into his family as a son or a daughter. You can call God your father. Try to map your mind around that. You can talk to the creator of all things as father. And notice as well that word children there is, is plural. I'm very thankful for that. He gave the right to become children of God, which means being a true child of God not only involves knowing God is your father, but it also means that you now belong to a family, that you have brothers and sisters in this new family, this family that we call the church, the church. It's here to encourage, to challenge, to walk alongside of, to share burdens and resources with, to laugh with, to cry with, to pray with, to link arms with. We, those who believe, have a new father and a new family. And this is only possible because of God, because of the gospel, we are told. And so as we close today, I want us to see what John does here. Because this is not very popular teaching, actually. It's not. John has divided the entire human race into two groups based on Jesus. The true light coming into the world. There are rejectors and there are receivers, which means right now, Every single person in this room, every single person watching, to these, watching these words online, we all fall into one of these two categories. There is no third option. No third option here. And it is very simple, praise God. Your belonging into one of those two groups is determined by what you choose to do with Jesus. How you answer the question who is Jesus? What you've done in the past doesn't matter. You can run away in the woods. <laughs> what family you grew up in, what your race is, if you're rich or poor, if you're single, married, divorced, doesn't matter. You become a receiver by simply receiving Jesus, by truly believing in Jesus, by running to the true light, the one who gives life. Listen, Jesus is of such importance that the entire human race, all of history, pivots on him, that person. 
So, if today you're here, and up to this point you've rejected him, you've suppressed him, you've run from him, my prayer is that you would believe on him and receive him for the very first time. You can do that today. You can do that right now, actually. And for those of us who are receivers here today, those of us who are here who have run to the light, my prayer for us is that we would keep on believing. Keep on believing. And in that, like John the Baptist, we would live out our calling to be a witness to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. That we would be his messengers in a dark world. Freedom Village, the true light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus has come into the world. So how have you responded to that light? Let's pray together.